0: and to tell inspirational cattails. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. I am Gwen Cooper, your host, and uh, usually this is the part where I say that I am delighted to be here, but I gotta be honest with you guys, um, very little has has delighted me in, in the last couple of weeks. Um during which I have been absent. I have been incredibly crazed with work. That is part of it. I don't want to talk about that too much because honestly, nothing is more boring than listening to somebody who you don't work with um, going on and on about the day-to-day grind of their job. Unless you have some exciting kind of job. I'm trying to think of an exciting job right now to use as an example. And the first thing that came into my head was Lion Tamer. And I was like, all right, well, That's a bad example from the distant past when – or not so distant past when we used to uh, consider animal abuse to be a form of entertainment and uh, popular entertainment, and we took our kids to go watch it. So Lion Tamer is a bad example. I don't know why that sprang into my head. Um, Surely, though, anybody listening to this right now can think of some job that is more interesting than my job as a writer – Um, I suffice it to say that I have been working on creating a quote unquote box set. It's basically a compendium. It's a one volume edition of both of the possum books. And I have formatted each book individually and then formatted, uh, the two books together in one volume myself. And I also designed the cover myself based on the professional designs for the first two covers that I already had. So I just sort of did something in that spirit, in that vein. Um, and it has been time-consuming, but exciting. And again, I, as always, have to thank my Patreon community for allowing me to to take, ha- putting me in the position where I have the time where I can do these things um, and also to take the classes and the lessons that teach me how to do these things um, and how to do them for myself. So thank you so much, really. Thank you to my Patreon community um, that is part of why I have been somewhat silent the past couple of weeks and and also why I'm slightly late in the game for those of you in my Patreon community getting my podcast up this week. Usually I try to do it over the weekend. Um you know, so I I, I really avoid politics. Completely on this podcast because that is not what we are here to discuss. Um, I avoid public discussion about politics in general, or at least public discussion about present, you know, present publicly presenting my political views. That is something that I don't do. Um, I realize that I have readers and friends on all sides of the political spectrum, which makes me somewhat unusual in these polarized days in which we live. And so it's really mostly out of a sense that I do not want to alienate anybody. And also, again, it's not what I do, right? I write about cats. I don't flatter myself that anybody particularly cares about my political opinions one way or the other. Um, Having said that, it has been a tough couple of weeks to be a Jew. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Today, if it's not your cuppa, this might be a good time for you to just turn the podcast off. Um, presumably, if you are one of the people who's been sending me anti-Semitic emails over the last couple of weeks, you are not going to turn this off now. This is maybe what you've been listening for. Um, you know, I I have to say that that and and it's an ugly word, but I'm going to say it here. I of course have been familiar with the word kike. Since I was a little kid, it it is a word that I've heard. It's a word that I've known. Um, I I can say, I can honestly say that it has never been directed at me personally. Nobody has ever called me a kike. Um, And that was true until about a week and a half ago. Now it is no longer true. Um, I have received a few emails using that word. Among other words that I'm not going to repeat here, but it has been, in that sense, an unpleasant two weeks for me personally. Although, of course, it has been worse than unpleasant for so many other people. The first thing I'm going to say before I get into anything, and this is the one thing that is on track, I guess, for the mission statement of this podcast, is if you are listening to this um, and you have any money to spare, and I know that it has been, uh, particularly this summer, was a summer of disasters, and and so a lot of people are tapped out in terms of, of what they can financially afford to give to charity, but if you have anything that you can spare, and if you have been watching what has been unfolding in the Middle East and what wondering how you might be able to help the animals who are caught up in all of this um i recommend that you look up chachi's haven and chachi is spelled like like chachi on happy days c h a c h i chachi's haven they are an israeli cat rescue um if you've seen a map then you know how very small and and pressed close together Countries and this region is. So, this is not an appeal to help Israeli cats. This is an appeal for cats in the region. Cats, of course, are not citizens of countries. They are citizens of our hearts, and our hearts, unlike the rest of the world, have no borders. Um, and my point being that if you know how, how close by everything in that part of the world is, cats in Israel, um, or or a cat rescue organization in Israel is obviously also going to be helping cats who originate in other countries very very that that are very close to Israel what what I'm trying to say is that in asking you to donate money to an Israeli cat shelter I am not asking you to donate money to Israel um the, the fact that that these are distinctions that have to be drawn and so it is. But but we we are going to talk about this a little bit because as, as the expression goes, out of the full heart, the mouth will speak. Um I, I'm actually not going to dive too far into this. I, I just want to offer a little bit of perspective for those of you listening to take with you and consider as you listen to the news or as you form opinions or or think about what should be done or who is right and who's wrong. Um I, I just wanted to give a, a little bit of context for what is going on. And then we can all move on. Um, the first thing I actually want to do, because this is something that comes up a lot, uh, the question is: Judaism, is being a Jew, is that a religion or is it an ethnicity? And you've probably heard people who have very strong opinions about which of those two things it is. Is it both? Is it neither? Is it kind of you know? Is, is it one or the other? Um, a lot of people really seem to want it to be definitively one or the other. Um, the correct answer to that question that very few people give, um, but the correct answer to the question is is that it is both and neither. Um, what Judaism is, is a type of social structure that was very common in the ancient Near East, although it is not especially common in the contemporary West. Um, but what Judaism is, is a joinable tribe. United by a common history, homeland, and culture, of which a non-universalizing religion is one important part. Um, let's see that that's a little bit of a complex answer, and possibly more complex than you were bargaining for. If you don't know what the difference between a universalizing and a non-universalizing religion is, and and <laughs> chances are you don't, because this is something that I had to look up myself when I first encountered the expression. Um, You you can look that up. I I don't want to turn this into an anthropology lesson. um, But one of the key differences between a universalizing religion and a non-universalizing religion is that universalizing religions like Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, um, tend to be organized around a central messianic figure. Um, The Christians have Jesus, the Buddhists have the Buddha – Muslims have Muhammad. Um, Judaism and, and Hinduism do not have that central messianic figure. And so that is one of the, one of the main reasons why Judaism and Hinduism are considered non-universalizing religions, whereas Islam, Christianity, and Buddhism are universalizing religions. Anyway, not that that matters so much, but that's that's what Judaism is: a joinable tribe. United by a common history, homeland, and culture, of which a non-universalizing religion is an important part. So that answers that. Um, but what I really wanted to 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 talk about actually today was was a little bit of history. And again th- this is not going to come back around to cat so I really do understand if this is where you choose to stop to listen to this episode um but I did want to give a little bit of history to the conflict between the Jews and the Palestinians um again just to inform your thoughts your opinions or or for something for something additional for you to take into consideration as you think about what is going on and what should be done, and, and what kinds of decisions leaders on both sides and of your own country should make. So first, we are going to go back to the year seventy A.D. Um, seventy A.D. is the year that the Roman army, under the leadership of Titus, the general Titus, who did eventually become an emperor of of the Roman Empire, um, when the Roman army sacked, first sieged, and then sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the second temple. Uh, The first temple had been destroyed about a thousand years earlier by the Babylonians. Um, This was the second temple that was built by Herod the Great. And the Romans destroyed the temple, sacked Jerusalem, which was most of what Judea was at that time, and expelled the Jews from Jerusalem and from Judea. And then he renamed Judea Palestine. Palestine was the Romanization of the word Philistine. And the Philistines at that time uh, were already, Jews and Philistines at that time were already ancient enemies. Of each other, and so the Romans, in expelling the Jews and in renaming the land Palestine, this was intended to be the final insult to the Jews. That not only had they been expelled from Judea, but the land had been given to their their enemies, their greatest enemies, the Philistines aka the Palestinians. And at this point, you're probably thinking, oh, so that's her point, right? That that Jews have this, this old claim, Jews were there t- 2,000 years ago and were kicked out, and so therefore the land is rightfully theirs, and blah, 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 and that is not at all. That is not at all my point. As you will see in a moment, when we go back even further in history, uh, we're actually going to go back to about 1,500 years before the expulsion of the Jews. From Judea by the Romans, um, we're going to go back to to somewhere around fourteen fifty BCE. It is now the end of the Bronze Age, and a group of people known as the Hebrews or the Israelites um, are are sitting down. To write what we will come to call the Old Testament, the the first five books of the Torah, uh, the the five books of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, basically their history up until that point. And those of you who are well versed or who perhaps remember childhood lessons in in biblical history, will know that in the Book of Exodus, which was written again at around this time, at around fourteen fifty BC, um, talks about Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, uh, the promised land being Canaan. And according to the Old Testament, um, when the Jews finally arrived in Canaan, the land was occupied by the Philistines, who did not welcome the Israelites to the region. And according to the Old Testament, uh, thus began, (laughs) I suppose, what can only be described as one of the world's great rivalries. Now, my point is not that Okay, so if you go back far enough, it is actually the Palestinians who were originally there and, and the Jews who were the interlopers. And so, yeah, that is not the point. The point of this is, is actually not to advocate for either side. The point that I am making um, is that this conflict is 3,500 years old, and there really have been no fallow periods, no no prolonged periods where there was no conflict. And even if you're thinking, okay, well, for two thousand years, right? I mean, after the Jews were expelled from Judea and before the founding of the state of Israel, there there was something like close to two thousand years when Jews were not living in the Middle East. And so probably during that time, right, there there was no conflict between Jew and Arab. And oh how wrong you would be. Um Jews have been living continuously In the Middle East, you may have heard of Ashkenazi Jews versus Sephardic Jews. Um, Again, after the diaspora, after Jews were expelled from Judea, some Jews went – and I'm sorry, by the way, my closet is getting to be a tighter and tighter squeeze as I continue to record podcasts in here. Um, And there is a garment bag right next to my left elbow. That's the sound that you might be hearing sometimes in the background. I apologize for that. Um but anyway getting back to this so you may have heard a mention of Ashkenazi versus Sephardic Jews. The Ashkenazi Jews were the ones who after the diaspora went to um Eastern Europe primarily about as far west as Germany but ended up in places like Poland, Lithuania, Russia, Romania and so on. Um whereas the Sephardic Jews ended up primarily in Spain and Portugal. But there is in fact a, another uh category of Jew, a ethnic Category of Jew, and those are the Mizrahi Jews. And the Mizrahi Jews never left the Middle East. Um, there were Mizrahi Jewish communities in Egypt that went that predated, I mean, that went all the way back to the time when, when Hebrews were slaves in Egypt that were thousands of years old. Um, most of the Mizrahi communities in the middle, and t- there were Mizrahi communities in in, you know, Palestine as well. Um After the foundation of the state of Israel, most of the Jews who'd been living in – well, all of the Jews who'd been living in Egypt, Syria, Iran, Iraq, um, were violently expelled from those countries, from communities that they'd been in for thousands of years. And they ended up all concentrated in Israel because it was the only place in the Middle East where they could go, where it was safe for them to go. And again, I – my point my only point in all of this is that this has been a continuous conflict for 3500 years and just to give because 3500 is still ultimately just a number so just just so we understand how long 3500 years is 3500 years ago it would be another 2000 years before the religion of islam was established and again my my point is my only point in bringing that up is that if you're thinking that there must be some really intense doctrinal differences between Jews and Muslims for them to have been fighting these religious wars for so long it's not really it's not about religion um however much you may hear that used on both sides as a pretext for justifying the conflict uh don't fall for it that that's not that is not the source of the conflict. Uh, 3,500 years ago, it would be another thousand years before the foundation, before the formation of of ancient Rome. Uh, What I mean by that is that 3,500 years ago was still 1,000 years before the first Latin farmer Occupied the first tract of land in a territory controlled by the Etruscans, located among seven hills on the west coast of Italy. I mean, obviously, we think of ancient Rome as being something incredibly ancient. It, it's right there in the name. This conflict is is nearly twice as old as their as the existence and then demise, the 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 rise and fall, not just of the Roman Empire, but of the existence of Rome. At all, um, thirty five hundred years is three thousand years longer than Christians than Catholics and Protestants have been fighting about anything. We we, we could go on and on with this, but I, I'm trying to give some frames of reference because I, I really do think it's important to understand just how long standing this conflict is. Because here here's the point that I do want to make. Um, you are going you are going to hear people talk. in in very absolute or black and white terms about, well, this side should just do this or that side should just do that. And they're going to have what seem to be simple solutions. They they view it as a relatively simple problem. Um, It is not. If you think you know what everybody should do in this situation, you have a simple solution. You know who's right and who's wrong. I will suggest to you that no one has come up with that solution. People smarter than you, certainly people smarter than I am have been trying for 3,500 years to resolve this, and they have not done so yet. So chances are, whatever it is that you think will be the solution or whatever whoever it is that you think is completely right or completely wrong in this conflict, I, I promise you it is not as absolute or as easy as you think that it is. Otherwise, some real brainiac at some point in the last 3,500 years would have gotten this all squared away. Um, Here is the other thing that I will say, though, is that the the real truth of the matter in terms of, of the right or the wrong of the whole thing is that good people on both sides are being and have always been and will probably in the future continue to be. Hijacked by the extremists on both sides. Because what there is really at the heart of all of this is a broad plurality, if not majority, of people on both sides who just want to live their lives, who, whatever their religious views, whatever their their life, their worldviews, how they may think about life or religion or man's role in the universe or right and wrong in any given situation. What all people want, when I say all people, I don't mean every individual person, but what people in general want everywhere are the same basic things, right? What do we all want? We want a living wage. We want some basic security. We want hope for our children. When I say basic security, I mean adequate food, adequate shelter, adequate health care. A living wage, basic security, hope for our children. That is all that most people want now. When I say what most people want, I mean what what we will all settle for. Obviously, many of us, if not most of us, want more or different things than that, right? I mean, look, if I ever win the lot the lottery, Cartier better look out. Um, but that is those are the conditions that that all of us will consent to to live under. We'll, we'll find livable, um, and. It really is a a small group of extremists on both sides who will not allow for the compromises that would just let that happen. Um, you know, it's a dynamic that I see playing out in other places all over the world. Certainly in this country, and and I'm, you know, not talking about the the the, the violence and the bloodiness of it, which is specific to the Middle East right now, but I see certainly in my own country that more and more um all of us are being hijacked by extremists on both sides and i am not referring to the battle over who's going to be speaker of the house uh, because that that's a very specific and and just of the moment kind of conflict and it's also specific to the republican party and, and and again i without getting into what my own views are or which side of the fence i am on i really am angry at both sides Um, Because somewhere along the line, it it got to be like a badge of moral honor to refuse to compromise. And all that governing is, is compromise. That's all just like marriage. You cannot go into a marriage saying, I'm just not going to compromise, because to do so would be to violate the purity of my morals, of my ideals, of my beliefs. Eh, sorry, doesn't work that way. And neither on a, and I understand that marriage is not running a country, but it is not possible to have any kind of long term healthy relationship with either one other individual or with large groups of individuals if people aren't willing. To compromise, and if I leave you with nothing else, um, because certainly there's probably there's I don't know how many listeners I have in the Middle East according to my statistics, uh, you know that I can see in the back end. I don't think I have any. Um, I have quite a few. I mean, most of my listeners are in the United States, Canada, and Europe. Some in South America, some in Africa, but. Just about everybody listening to this is, is going to have an opportunity to vote for somebody in their own respective government at some point in the next couple of years. And I encourage you to remember, if I leave you with nothing else, people who aren't willing to compromise are not interested in governing. Now, what it is that they are interested in is probably going to vary from person to person. Some people just want power. Some people think they can raise a lot of money off of being a firebrand extremist and not giving in on anything. Some people are really zealots. They are legitimate. I mean, they, they don't even have evil intentions per se. They are legitimately zealots, um, and who who feel that that to give an inch is the same thing as giving in entirely. Uh, sorry, I just hit my garment bag there again. Um, I, you know, I'm not here. I'm not here to suss out the psychology of anybody involved in in any of this or in any form of governance anywhere in the world. But I am here to tell you to an absolute certainty that anybody who, any extremist, any zealot, anybody who is not willing to compromise, does not have your best interest at heart and is not somebody you should vote for. And again, there are extremists in my country. On the left and on the right. And I imagine that that is true everywhere. Certainly we see in the Middle East that there have been extreme governments on both sides, neither of which was elected by a majority of the people whom they have now involved in this incredibly bloody conflict. And I guess that's the point, that even getting away from questions of who's quote-unquote right and who's quote-unquote wrong, that you probably know less than you think you do about the conflict. I absolutely know how much I don't know, even everything that I have just said over the course of this podcast. I'm still relatively ignorant. I am by no means a East scholar. Um, but I do ask you to please remember that there have been extreme minority governments on both sides for the last 20 years at least, who do not reflect the will or the opinions of, the, of their respective constituencies, at least not a majority of them. Hamas was not put in charge of the Palestinian Authority by any kind of majority vote, and Netanyahu has never gotten a majority of votes either, at least not in the most recent election. And here we are. And my point in that is, is that truly there are good people, innocent people on both sides who, who, only, who only want right a livable wage, some basic security, and hope for their children. You know, I am not, and and again, I, I don't want to go too far beyond that in in my opinion of things. But I will also say that it it has seemed clear to me for a long while now, and and obviously continues to seem clear to me that whatever your opinion on any of this is, that the status quo ante bellum, uh, the way things were before this conflict broke out, was never going to be sustainable even if the moral implications did not bother you um it, it was simply never going to be the case that that gaza was going to somehow remain stable and nonviolent for some indefinite period of time uh, people on both sides are going to have to get together and reach compromises If the people on both sides, on either side, are going to have any kind of of good, hopeful, positive, uh, sustainable life going forward. And again, this has nothing to do with the right or the wrong of anything, just that certain things are not sustainable. And I pray to to whatever God or uni- power in the universe there may be, that the reasonable moderates on both sides, when the dust settles and and these horrors, these horrors stop long enough for everyone to catch their breath, that what happens is that reasonable moderates on both sides who are willing to make compromises will... Get seats at the table. will will take control of the table and bring about if if not anybody's ideal or anybody's first choice, at least some kind of of second or third choice scenario that everybody can live with, which is what compromise is. and compromise i I think we we at least here in America. I think we've we all suffer from too many years of of TV shows and movies that show compromise as failure Um, when somebody has to make a compromise, when they have to compromise their their vision to get a law passed or to get their boss to sign off on the big proposal or whatever it is, we we are pretty consistently shown in in TV shows and movies that this is failure. The compromise is failure. The compromise is selling out. The compromise is giving in. The compromise is is a betrayal of your true core values that should never be compromised. And blah blah blah. And uh, you know, that's fine. That ratchets up narrative tension for movies and TV shows. But it, it's it, the truth of the matter is the compromise is hard. It involves doing things you don't want to do, which is the hardest thing to do. Um, it means telling your spouse you're sorry sometimes when you don't think you did anything wrong, and in fact, you think you're the one who should be getting an apology. Sometimes you have to apologize. Sometimes, whatever. I. Everyone knows. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Um, compromise is not failure. Compromise, when it comes to governing large numbers of people, none of whom agree entirely with anybody else on anything, compromise entails strength and, and wisdom. And it is the only path forward. Uh, certainly, as this conflict has shown us, as 3,500 years of this conflict has shown us, refusing to compromise doesn't really get you much of anywhere in the long term. If anybody listening to this podcast, if you have been offended by anything that I've said, you may certainly write to me, uh, please don't call me a kike. (laughs) It is all I ask. I've, I've had enough of that over the past couple of weeks. And on that note, I am going to wrap it up for now and get back to the work of writing and formatting and producing those cat books that most of you know and uh, at least used to love me for, even if you don't love me anymore. And I do promise that next week we will be back to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks so much for listening. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.